1: Welcome to the Pride of Detroit podcast, Locker Room Edition, where we take your live questions. We do a full Q&A here on the Locker Room app. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I am the host of the Locker Room app podcast. You can find me at Detroit Online on Twitter. As always, I am co-hosted by two of our best contributors over at Pride of Detroit. First, we got Eric Schlitt, at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. He's a managing editor of Pride of Detroit. Eric, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. It's a busy morning already for a Saturday. I, I like it. You're getting into the swing of things. The draft is less than two weeks away, so uh, you might as well kind of get into, into I don't know, offseason shape, I guess. <laughs> uh, our other co-host is Ryan Matthews, the uh, senior editor of Pride of Detroit, at Ryan underscore POD on Twitter. Ryan, you in off season mode yet?
2: Speaking of getting in off-season shape,
1: how about a little Jeff Okuda,
2: Brashad Perryman? Huh? That'll hey. get the that'll get, that'll get the fan base excited.
1: There you go. Uh, yeah, as uh, as you mentioned. So I'm not even sure where we're at with the off-season workout thing. The the Lions earlier in the week said, "Hey, we're not going to do it," and then the NFL is like, "Oh, d- neither are we. It's it's, it's going to be all virtual." And so it's kind of a uh, I don't quit. I'm I'm not fired. I quit situation. So yeah. we'll see how <laughs> how that whole thing plays out. Um, but let's jump right into questions here. I'm sure you guys have got a lot since we're so close to the draft here, and uh, we're we're happy to answer any draft questions you have, or if you have something else you want to talk about. Uh, more than welcome to talk about that as well. Let's
3: kick things off with Nathan. Nathan, how hey you guys. doing, man? Good man. Happy Saturday. How y'all doing? Good. Good. How are you? Good, man. That's the point I didn't get to get on last time, man. I I had some issues with the app, I guess, but, um.
1: Yeah, it happens.
3: Yeah, Yeah, it happens. We missed you. I know, man. (laughs) I missed all my questions. Um, all right. Well, I got a, I got a weighted question here. I'm going to try to make, condense it down. So I think Mac Jones is going three. I'm going to buy the hype. Okay. Um, the Lions are going to have a choice between Justin Fields and Trey Lance at seven. Who are you taking? Why? And what is their biggest strengths and weaknesses for both?
1: So this is this is where boxed into we have to take a quarterback no matter what.
3: Yeah, I feel the value is going to be too high to not take a quarterback at this position if Mac Jones goes three. So, yeah, I think we're going to have a choice at both of them.
1: All right. Uh, Ryan, you want to take your first crack at this one?
2: Sure. Yeah, my answer is Fields. I, I think that he's, he's, done it, he, he's done it for uh, a more extended period of time you know, we, we've seen him do this over uh, a couple of seasons at Ohio state. Um, We've also seen, we've also seen him on, you know, the biggest stage, you know, going up against Trevor Lawrence head to head and and coming out on top in in, in that situation. Um, I think a lot of the things about fields in terms of, you know, all these like quote unquote character issues or red flags that that come, come along with him are, are completely overblown. I mean, this is a guy who, Went and he made all the throws at his first pro day and decided to do it again, um, just to kind of, just to kind of put all of these like you know question question marks to sleep. Um, but I I I'm a Fields guy. I think the the concerns with Lance are just FCS competition. I mean, like yes, he's got a lot of traits. He's got a lot of tools. Um, he's an exciting prospect from that standpoint. But Justin Fields' level of competition, I think, um, just let's – there's more tape that I can watch and say, like, okay, this guy can play with the big boys. With Trey Lance, there's a lot of projection there. So I think that's the difference between the two guys is one is a little bit more established and the other one is a little bit more of a projection.
3: I would say toughness too.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean – Justin Fields, yeah, I mean, well documented his his rib injury that he sustained in in the Clemson game and, and still playing against Bama. I mean, that's guy's tough as nails, and I don't think you can question his uh, his desire to play football.
1: Well, I, I think you can. I think you would just be very very wrong in it. Yeah, oh, good point. Good point. <laughs> uh, Eric, what do you think?
4: Yeah, I I think it comes down to the fact of exactly what Ryan said. Are you gambling on the guy who you know is more established or are you gambling gambling on the guy who could could potentially have a higher ceiling? Uh, For me, give me the established player uh, earlier, right? And so I would take Fields as well. Uh, There's been a lot about Fields decision-making and and there's some merit to that, but – he, by design, like I think a lot, a lot of the times in Ohio State, they were giving him one or two options. They weren't giving him three or four like you would see in other pro style offenses. So he had to choose between one of those two options or he was asked to use his athleticism. So he's got a lot of intangibles. Um, you guys mentioned his toughness. I, I think he's a guy who, um, with a if he is was afforded a year to sit, he could really shore up any of those deficiencies that he has in in you know progressions and whatnot uh just because like i said he he wasn't asked to do it as much at Ohio State with lance you know you've got a you've got another dual threat guy who is the you know epitome of what the NFL quarterback could be, but he's only played what seventeen games, right? And so there's and it's all lower level competition. So there's a lot of unknown. But when he what's there is really impressive, but there's just there's so much uncertainty around him because um, we just don't know. We haven't seen it over a longer period of time, right? So that's why I would have uh, I also have Fields ahead of
0: Lance.
1: Yeah, I think I'm with you guys as well, and and more importantly, I think the Lions would be with us simply. And I, I go back to this quote all the time, but it's it's one from Dan Campbell, one of the very first one-on-one interviews he did, and I think it was with uh, Chris Burke of the Athletic. Um, he said, "If it's not if this guy isn't for everybody, if the quarterback that we're eventually going to draft isn't a hundred percent consensus, he's not our guy." And it, it's just hard for me to believe that a, a Lions team this year, especially considering that they probably want to give Goff a shot, that they'd go all in on a guy like Trey Lance who just doesn't have a ton of film out there and, and the one he does is is um, you know, like we said, against FCS competition. So um I, I think it's Justin Fields if he's there. I still think I still think that the Lions are going to pass on a quarterback either way, but if if they are stuck in the decision, they decide this is the year they're gonna go grab a quarterback in between those two, I think they pick Fields.
3: Not to mention Chris Spielman from Ohio State. You know he's pounding the table for. Just a few. <laughs> That's probably a true. I, I hope I hope he's <laughs> able to be a little uh, objective on
1: that, but you never know. Uh, appreciate I, the question. Thank uh, yeah, thank no guys. problem. If you got another one, feel free to jump on there. Looks like the queue's a little low here, so. Goodness um, for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. Let's uh, <laughs> let's go into our text questions because I do – I understand there are probably some people that don't want to join the show but want their questions answered. Um, Anthony asks, um, uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Tyler Crosby. I've been all about double-dipping an offensive line to prepare beyond 2021. But when, what do you think the odds are that Crosby makes his way into the long-term plans for the team? Who you want –
4: I'll tell you what I'll take this first I like Tyrell Crosby Um, I think Tyrell Crosby is a guy who has tackle guard potential even though he's only seen the field uh, uh, in the NFL at tackle Uh, I when I've talked to him in the past he said that you know he has cross-trained at guard a little bit I think we even heard from uh, an offensive line coach a couple years ago that they were even training him uh, at at guard as well now I like him as tackle I, I do think he's best served as kind of a swing tackle reserve i think there's so much of value to that because even when he even as a swing tackle reserve uh, prior to last year starting he was a uh, he still had like you know 12 starts or something like that over a couple of years because yeah. these guys get injured like you need three offensive tackles in order to be able to get through an nfl season it's ju- it's just the way it, it goes like these guys are going to get injured and so I think he should be in the long-term plans, even if it's not as a starting right tackle. Even if he's just a swing tackle, I think there's a lot of value in keeping him around. He's an incredible human being, and uh, he has the right mentality to play as a starter and as a backup. And I think he has enough upside that I, I would actively be trying to keep him around, regardless of what his role is uh, in the future.
1: You agree, Ryan?
2: Yeah, I, I think what Eric points out is really important that he has the right mindset. And I, I think this is a guy who's just willing to help out the team in like any capacity that he can. So that's why he's kind of earned this moniker as like everybody's favorite swing tackle. Like in a pinch, you can call on Tyrell Crosby. And I, I think in terms of the kind of depth that he provides, like that's something that I think a lot of teams shoot for. Like they want to have a guy like Tyrell Crosby on their team who you know, in case of emergency, they can they can break that they can break that glass and, and call on a guy like Crosby to to step in in a pinch. So, um, you know, if, if the Lions don't address tackle in the first round, if they don't address tackle in the second round, um, you know, maybe they might be able to find a guy in the third round that can come in and start. But I, I think that you know, Tyrell Crosby deserves every opportunity. To, to earn that right tackle position. Um, you know, obviously, if they take a guy like Slater, if they take a guy like Sewell, um, those guys would obviously be fast-tracked, and, and they would probably be starting over Crosby to, to start. But, um, yeah, I, I like Tyro Crosby a lot. He loves Chipotle.
1: <laughs> he does. Um, let me let me add to the question here. This is the, the final season on, on his rookie deal, and he got that performance bonus um, due to his playing time in the previous couple seasons. If if the Lions were to approach him about an extension, how much would you feel comfortable paying a guy like him as kind of that third offensive tackle?
4: I think a lot of it comes down to how he does
1: this year mm-hmm. and what so you project you, his role to be in the future, right? So you, you wouldn't you wouldn't approach him about a, an extension this offseason? I would, but if I was approaching him
4: about an extension, I'd be approaching him about a, an extension as a like almost like as a reserve. Because yeah. I don't know that he has done enough to say I'm the right tackle of the future for you. Right. Um, he's, he's he's just so good in so many different ways, but he's not elite in any one. Right. <laughs> right. And, and so like if that's what you're comfortable with, then, then great. But like uh, if he was my reserve, at my OT3, I wouldn't mind paying him $4 million a year. I, I just wouldn't. I, I think there's value in that because that's that's a, a, a necessary position. And so, you know, we talk a lot about the starters, but when you get to the reserves, there are key reserves all over this fe- all the football field that you have to have. And he's a guy that I would love to have. And so, you know, I, I'd try and get him on. A, uh, I'd, I'd start the conversation now if you thought he was willing to take a, a $4 million a year uh, position. And then you're still in a spot where you could, you know, put them on the bench and not be, you know, worried about that, that contract.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go back to the phone lines. Alex, you are on the show. Alex, can you hear us? I can kind of hear you out. So are you there? Oh, hello. How's it going, man?
5: I'm good. How are you guys? Good, good. Uh, so I just wanted a quick question. Uh, so the draft is one of my favorite times of the year and I always try to go, like, deeper in to see, like, underrated prospects. For me, this year, it's Cam McGrone from Michigan and Tyler Wallace from Oklahoma State. I wanted to see uh, who are you guys' underrated prospects that could, the Lions can potentially get in the third or later rounds.
1: Uh, I'm going to throw that one straight to Eric because he's got a huge, <laughs> huge board that I'm staring at myself, and I'd just, I just be throwing darts. So, Eric, what do you think?
4: Yeah, I think Wallace is going to go into third. He's a he's a pretty talented uh, wide receiver. It um, wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't there when the Lions picked in the third. Even like he's right in that kind of third tier of receivers for me. Uh, I'm also a McGroon fan. Uh, he looks like a fourth rounder, which is again something I'd be very comfortable taking uh, because I think he has the athleticism to fit into the linebacker roles that the Lions are going to be utilizing. As far as Sleepers for me, the guy I've really been touting is, is Sean Wade. I think he's a guy who has a lot of upside and he's coming off a very down year. And because of that, he's going to drop. And so I would put him back in his 2019 form in the slot. Uh, I'd be willing to try him at safety. I think he'd do very well there. And he's a guy who could, you could get on day three and he could potentially start for you at some point. Um, and then you start looking at guys who are injured, right? Uh, I mentioned Cisco earlier uh, from Syracuse, the safety. He's a guy who missed the whole season. So a lot of people have kind of forgotten about him. He's a guy who maybe he slides into round four, but he should definitely be there in round three. And if you draft him, you're probably getting a guy who had a second round value. So um, you just really have to kind of look at at, at some of those types of injury guys. Those are the two that kind of stand out to me. I don't want to um, take up anybody else's name, though, if, if Ryan's got somebody that he's eye- got his eyes on.
1: I know, I know he's also a big Sean Wade fan. Uh, we, we talked about him a lot on our Thursday night mock drafts, but uh, I know you've been doing some research on wide receivers. Is that where you want to go with your sleeper pick? Sure.
2: Yeah. I. Uh, you know, Tylon Wallace is he's an interesting prospect, um, as you mentioned, Alex. Um, I, I think he would be best served maybe moving to the slot. Um, do you see that too, Eric, at, at the next level? He, he kind of reminds me of, like, Tyler Boyd,
4: who could play the Z or the slot. Uh, so, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, so, you know, other, other wide receiver prospects, um, I had an article go up today um, at Pride of Detroit, our Saturday Open, open thread, and uh, I'm a big fan of Josh Palmer from Tennessee. I think that he was a guy who was just – so absolutely victimized by terrible quarterback play at Tennessee um that it, it's it's almost unheard of he had you know something over 30 percent of his passes thrown his way were uncatchable uh, according to PFF so I mean when, when he went up against elite level competition when he went up against the Patrick Sertains of the world um you know that's a guy who a lot of people have pegged as CB1 I mean he was <clears throat> he was easily pulling away from him in terms of speed and in terms of his uh, verticality and and that type of game that he can play. So, you know, he he went up against the top-level competition in the SEC, played for a bad Tennessee team. I could see him being a guy that if he does slip to day three because he doesn't really have a whole lot of production and it's a lot more projection with him, he's a guy that I would would jump all over as early as the fourth round. You could maybe even talk me into him being a third-round pick if the Lions want to take him at one-on-one.
4: Yeah, he also played against he also played against JC Horn, right? And he did well against him. Yeah, um, I think I think against like the top level cornerbacks, PFF put that out. Like he he was like eleven for eleven uh, against like Sir Tan Horn, and there was another uh, uh that they threw in there. There you go. Um, yeah. yeah, look. I I think he could slip into the third round as well. He's a bit of a, there's a, there's a slew of guys at the top of the fourth round who I think could all make their way into the, the bottom of the third. Uh, Josh Palmer is one of them. We've talked about like, uh, Anthony Schwartz in the past. I still think he's a fourth rounder, but like maybe Jalen Darden, um, Cornell Powell from Clemson. These are guys that are probably fourth rounders that, would normally be third rounders and and, and other drafts. So I I like Palmer a lot. I'm I'm with you.
1: All right. Appreciate the question, Alex. We are going to take our first break. When we come back, we're going to be answering more of your questions about the draft, about Detroit Lions, about anything you guys can come up with. So stick around. We'll be right back on our locker room Q&A. With our locker room Q&A where we are answering all of your Detroit Lions related questions here live on the locker room app or if you're listening on the podcast. Uh, let's go right back to the phone lines with DJ. DJ, can you hear us? Yeah. How you guys doing? Good. DJ, how are you? Good. So I guess my question's
2: not just Lions related, but do you see any surprise picks in the top 10? I mean, normally
3: I'd lean towards the Jets for it, but they're going quarterback. <laughs>
1: that's i like that question uh, a lot yeah there there always is going to be some sort of surprise there um do do any of you guys have an inkling of who either the team might be or maybe a player that kind of sneaks up that not a lot of people were expecting
4: i think slater is the one that that people have talked about as being in that top 10 range but haven't really talked about as being a guy who could go before seven right Mm, he's i i think if they if uh it's, there's, if he's, if anybody's going to jump up, it could be him. I could also see, um, Elijah Barrett Tucker jump up into the top 10, uh, that he's the, uh, USC guard. And, yeah. um, those two guys, I'm, I just, I think they're kind of flying under the radar as far as like their top 10 potential.
2: Yeah. I, the the other guy that I would consider too, uh, Eric in, I've seen him rising up draft boards. And now that this, the CB class is starting to become a little bit more, um, you know, particular once you get to like the top three guys, I could see like JC Horn maybe being picked before Patrick Sertain, like, Mm. and maybe potentially being a top 10 guy. Like that would be like nothing I, I would consider out of the realm of possibility if some team falls in love with him. So, um, in terms of defensive players, though, outside of cornerback, you know, I I don't think Christian Barmore stands a chance. I don't think like Quiddy Pay. Like, I I don't see like this year's version of um, Cullen Farrell happening. Like, right. I I I I just I don't see that with all the offensive talent, but. Um, yeah, it, the the top 10 seems like it's kind of solidified and there might be a couple of these names like that, you know, Eric and I are throwing out that could potentially sneak their way up into the top 10, but with so many quarterbacks getting taken, you can almost kind of like start to piece together. Like, okay, these are the wide receivers. These are the offensive linemen. And here's like the one defensive player who's probably going to go in the top 10, but who knows it's draft day. Yeah. Well,
4: I, I have something that could surprise you. Uh, and it, it's, you know, I'm going to get. You know, people aren't gonna like it too much or, or they might not agree with it. But I wouldn't be surprised if J O K and Xavier Collins went ahead of Micah Parsons.
1: I, I think I think you might be right. I I was asked on a different podcast, you know, who I think might slide farther than, than people think and Micah Parsons was my answer. And it, it to me it I mean, you can talk all you want about the off the field issues. We won't get into the specifics of, of all that stuff, but it matters. But at the same time, I think there's some on-field issues as well. Like he's not the perfect prospect that I think we a lot of people thought he was three or four months ago. Um, kind of the, the deeper you dive into that, the, the more you see, I don't want to want to say the exact same problems as Jared Davis, but some of the same problems as Jared Davis. Some some over pursuing. Um, that sort of thing. Is, is that kind of what you're seeing too, Eric, or, or do you think it, it might just be the off the field stuff?
4: No, I, I also think that there's those three linebackers are all stylistically very different. And, yeah. and I could see a team saying we need this type of player. And the three of them are close enough that I, I it wouldn't surprise me to see a team say, I have this guy higher because this is what we want. Right. So, right. um, if you want the the super athlete, you know, then Parsons is your guy. But if you want a two hundred and sixty pound, six foot five linebacker who can cover, well, that's that's Zavian Zavian Collins. Collins yep. And if you, and if you want the hybrid uh Isaiah Simmons like player, well then that's J O K, right? So yep. um I think we've really we we've kind of locked ourselves into to Parsons being the the LB one, but it wouldn't surprise me to see the other two, just because I don't think it's as, as much as separating them. And if a team prefers one, then, then I could see either or both going ahead of them.
2: Can I, can I potentially flip this question on its head in a way?
4: Sure. Um,
2: what about any of the guys that you are seeing Eric or Jeremy um, consistently in the, in the first round slipping out and becoming day two picks?
4: Well, uh, we'll go right back to uh the guy that I picked in a community mock draft, Landon Dickerson. Um uh-huh. Dickerson uh has a injury history. He had uh he at Florida State, he couldn't he, all three years he was at Florida State, he had big injuries and then he transferred to Alabama and uh he's he's been pretty consistent at Alabama. He missed the the he injured himself in the SEC Championship game, which was the only injury he really had at Alabama. So uh, but he's got this huge injury label on him. He's had a couple of ACL surgeries and so the medicals are going to be huge for him. I, I think if he's there, he's right on that edge where if a team doesn't like his medicals, then he's going to drop into day two. Whereas on, on field, he's a day one talent in my mind. So it's going to take something like that. In my opinion, it's going to take a, uh, either an injury or maybe a positional value. Like I wouldn't be surprised if no running backs win in round one, right? That's just because the position's being devalued. Uh, so those are a couple of guys right off the top of my head that I, I have seen consistently in round one that I wouldn't be surprised if they slipped.
1: Gregory yourself is probably another one of those guys, right? I mean, we've oh. talked about him a couple times. Um, I, and, and, you know, I think he's kind of right on the edge anyways. I think some people have him as a second-round talent. Some people have him as, as a first-round talent. But um, the poor testing um, is definitely a huge red flag. And, I mean, like like you said, I, I feel like there's kind of just – the edge talent isn't that good in this year's draft. So maybe teams start reaching towards the end of the first round. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at your mock – or your board, and you got him as kind of a second-tier guy behind guys like Cody yeah. Payne, Jalen Fay- Phillips. so um yeah, I I think you could see him slide into the second maybe, maybe even further.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think I think Eric hits on a couple of good points, right? Like it's it's gonna be medicals or it's gonna be uh positional value. I just to throw out another name, maybe Caleb Farley. You know, depending on how sure. teams view his, his back. Um because there are there are some cornerbacks that you would definitely probably, you know, rank ahead of him just in terms of they're healthy and they have great tape and they got great traits like, you know, JC Horn and Patrick Surtain, so um, and even if you want to throw Daz Newsome into that, uh, in mix too, as well.
1: All right. I think we tackled that one up and down. Thanks for the question, DJ. Appreciate it. Let's bring on Dan. Dan, are you there?
6: Uh, yes. Can you hear me? Okay. Yep. You're good. Okay, great. Thanks for you. Uh, t- uh, let me, uh, ask a question. I'm um, sort of, it's a rambling one, but I'm kind of curious what you guys, what your gut instinct is. And I might just uh, break off a couple of questions here. But what do you think Atlanta is going to do? Because when you figure it out with the three picks, it sort of leaves us like with yours with Jamar on Thursday or ending up with Slater or something like that. And obviously the mm-hmm. long term aspects of an offensive tackle. But I have this secondary question of like, how many offensive picks can we do this early in the draft? And you know, <laughs> like, is it better to get a really good offense and, and then let the defense follow? And I'll, and I'll stop at that.
1: Yeah, look, no. Appreciate the question. Yeah, I think Atlanta is is a fascinating kind of team to look by, and, and everyone says that the draft kind of starts with them, and I think they're right. Obviously, we we pretty much know three quarterbacks are going, um, but what does Atlanta do? Do they make it four in a row? Do they go with an offensive weapon? Do they go their wide receiver core is kind of okay now, but um, in the future they could need a, a wide receiver. Do they go offensive tackle? I, I mean, I think they they could really. Get, they're kind of in a situation a lot like the Lions, where they kind of have a quarterback for. The next year or two, Um, but they're kind of in a rebuild too because they got a new head coach and a new general manager. Um, Do you guys have any sort of inkling of of what you think Atlanta's going to do? I'll I'll start with you, Ryan. Yeah. Well, I
2: I think for a team that's set up in, in the way Atlanta is, like they have their quarterback. And I think at this point, you try to build around him and just give him as much, either as much protection or as many weapons as possible. And I think Atlanta's done, you know, a a phenomenal job of doing that over the years in terms of Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley and, you know, going out and trading and getting Hayden Hurst. And now they're in this position where they could really cap things off and take somebody like Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase. And then it's like, well, I mean, what else can we do for Matt Ryan? Um, But, you know, there's also this sense that I, I, I feel like from the, the few Falcon fans that I do follow on, on Twitter Um, it seems like there's this clamoring, like, all right, Matt Ryan's Matt Ryan's we've seen this movie before. Like we're, we're, we're ready to move on from this. So man, I mean, four quarterbacks with the first four picks that, that, that would really be something. And I, I, I don't know if I can entirely write it off, but there's that, there's that Matt Ryan contract, right. And it's, it'd be a tough sell for, for a team that's picking in the top four, um, you know, maybe, Hey. We're in the top four. This is our chance to get our quarterback. Who knows yep. if we'll be back here again.
1: Uh, they, it's they probably it's a really tough spot to be in, right? I mean, you think about how the Falcons 2020 season played out and they blew all those leads. It's hard to imagine they're going to be in the top five again next year, um, especially with a, a good quarterback like Matt Ryan up there. And I think it's worth pointing out that in the commu- or in the, the SB Nation mock draft where you know a, a writer from each main uh, SB Nation site, the Falcoholics did take Trey Lance. Uh, as the you know the fourth quarterback off the board, and maybe maybe that is a good landing spot for him. We talk about Trey Lance to the Lions a lot because the Lions can afford sitting Trey Lance for a year or two. Well, Falcons are in that exact same position, so I I wouldn't count it out. And it, and it appears some Falcons fans are are pulling that way. What about you, Eric?
4: Yeah, I think it comes down to three players: um, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Kyle Pitts. Oh, or you trade out and somebody takes one of those three guys as well. Right. Yeah. So, uh, or maybe they trade up out to get Sewell or whatever. Right. But uh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense for Atlanta to, um, to take a Kyle Pitts. If they think they're that last year was a bit of an, uh, an anomaly and they, they really want to get the most out of Matt Ryan as they can. The trick is you have a completely new GM and a completely new head coach. And with any, Uh, new GM head coach combo, you're going to have that conversation of, are they going to want to get their guy? Are they going to want to get their quarterback? And so I don't think they need to, but again, (sighs) they're sitting there and and the opportunity is going to be there. So like you said, they're a lot like uh, the Lions in the fact of, do you take your quarterback now and just – you know let Matt Ryan run out the end of days or are you going to try and, and and let him go for it so uh, it's hard it's it's a really hard decision i think that's that's why you know the draft starts at 4
1: uh, Dan, I totally forgot your second question. Sorry. Can you ask him again?
6: <laughs> no, no. It's, and, and it's, the other, thanks so much. Uh, it's called, it's kind of a, uh, a housekeeping question, and I've seen it in some of the drafts, except for the crazy one that Jerry does when he's getting like 18 picks and stuff. But you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, sorry. But no, I mean, like, it, it, it looks like, you know, I mean, uh, just looking at it immediately, like maybe, you know, offer a tackle in first or whatever, and before you know it, or wide receiver in first, you know, we've maybe got four or five good picks before, before we do any trades, uh, before we're fly, taking flyers, how many is it reasonable? Because I know you've said it doesn't matter what order you get them. I know you heard that said that on other podcasts, Jeremy. Sure. But I'm just wondering, you know, at what point can we have to, you know, you know how many offense versus defense before we start, you know, spending rashly?
1: Yeah, uh, and, and that's a good question too because we we actually kind of talked this over uh, with Brett Whitefield, who we who we, the the podcast just went live this morning, um, where we just discussed the the offensive players in this draft. And I just threw a hypothetical at him, like, all right, if you throw throw me your best ideal scenario for your the first and second round pick combination and make them both offense. And I can't, Ryan, you might have to re- refresh my memory. I think he said Kyle Pitts, and then I think he said another wide receiver. Was was, was it Deami Brown? I think it might have been. Yeah. Um, and then I thought about them like, I don't hate it, but I don't love it because because <laughs> you said like there are a lot of needs on this team, both on offense and on defense and and going to receivers just like, well, yeah, the, the team obviously needs at least two more receivers on this team. But at the same time, now you're stuck with the, you know nothing else until the third round and you've got no safety to start, no linebacker to start. You've got an offensive line position wide open. Um, so is, it, yeah, is it
6: better to, is it better to build? Like, is there something to be said? A friend of mine, uh, Matt was talking about it. And uh, um, like, is it, is there something to be said about getting a rock solid offense? And then obviously it takes a little bit of pressure off your defense. I mean, coming from being the worst last
1: <laughs> Right. Yeah. That's a good question. Eric, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? No, I completely agree with that. I, I think you yeah. have to
4: come out of the first hundred picks with the from a value standpoint, you you need a receiver and you need an offensive lineman, and the value is there in the first hundred picks. Look at the community mock draft that we just did. I just went receiver and then guard, right? Yeah. Because that is where is where the value is, and that's where there's also needs. So for me, I think you can come out of the first two days with two offensive and two defensive players based on where the value of the players are going to be. I I don't. I'm with you, Jeremy. I don't think you can necessarily double dip at one, at one position, um, offense or defense, but I do think you can absolutely take two offensive players, uh, in the first hundred
1: picks. Does that bother you, Ryan? What if, what if they went three, three out of the four in their first four picks? Would that bother you? I, I don't think it would bother me from, from this
2: standpoint. Uh, you know, Eric brings up the, the value of, of those picks and, and and where it meets with with the prospects that are on the board i'm trying to think of on the lions defense in terms of getting a guy who would immediately come in and be a starter of all the mock drafts that we've done i'm not sure there are too many guys outside of maybe like the safety and the nickel corner position like there there's so many positions on offense that i think like i mean yeah tyrell williams is probably going to be wide receiver one but I mean, you draft a guy like Jamar Chase or you draft a guy like Jalen Waddle, like those guys are going to be starters. You, you draft an offensive tackle in the first round or maybe even the second round, that guy's probably going to start over, you know, Tyrell Crosby. For as much as we like that guy, probably going to be a starter over him. So, like, I, I think for the Lions in the immediate, like, it, it lines up with they have needs on offense. There are – there's there's an abundance of talent in in uh, these first two rounds at those positions. It just seems to make a lot of sense to get guys that you can plug and play and, and get them playing time in their first year.
1: Yeah, and I, this this goes awesome into an article I saw from PFF's uh, Brad Spielberger. He he did the average rookie snaps by position by round, and guard and center were by almost double any other position um, oh, yeah. for guys drafted in the third round. So that's that's consistently where you find the best value on that interior offensive line is right there in the in the second and third rounds. Look at look at look at Bob Quinn took two th-
4: guards in the third round in, in his tenure. Yep. Uh Graham Glasgow and Jackson both started as rookies. Like that's really if you can if you get an offensive lineman in the first hundred picks, they have a legitimate chance to start.
1: Yeah, and you look at all these other positions like cornerback is, is their average is three hundred to center, which is six hundred and seventy three. Uh, one of the lowest ones are, are, are oddly tackle. Um, so maybe if the lines want to get offensive tackle, they probably got to tackle that in the first or second round. Um, edge defender is on the low end as well. Tight end is on the low end. So yeah, quarterback is obviously on the low end as well. Um, so yeah, you, really the in terms of just draft history, um, offensive tackle or offensive guard, I should say, is uh is really. The, the position to tackle there in the third round. I keep saying tackle and guard and <laughs> mixing myself up there.
2: <laughs> to to, to kind of to cap this off, though, I mean, like, I know a lot of us have been really critical of Bob Quinn. He did pretty good with the offensive line. Did he not?
1: Taylor Decker, part, he, Frank I mean, yeah.
2: now Jonah Jackson. Sure. I mean, it took him a couple
1: swings, a, but yeah.
2: It, it did. But, like, he, he obviously dedicated a lot of resources to that. I mean, obviously, it came with its fair share of misses, and the 2017 draft was a complete disaster. But, yes. like... Um, you know, even getting guys like later, you know, Joe Dahl, like Tyrell a, Crosby, a, a depth guy, a, Tyrell Crosby, a depth guy mm-hmm. in the fifth round. Like, I mean, he did a pretty solid job, you know, putting together an offensive line.
1: Just not, just not in free agency. That's where he really uh, screwed, up, screwed the pooch. Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. No problem, Dan. Thanks for the question. All right, um, let's take another break here. Um, when we come back, we'll finish up with your questions here on the Locker Room F as we head just two weeks away from the NFL Draft. We'll be right back. And we are back. Closing out shop here on our locker room Q&A on Saturday, April 17th. Uh, let's go to the phone lines again. We've got Nathan again. Nathan, what's up, buddy? Hey, guys.
3: So I'm going to pivot from players that we think we're going to get to players we have okay. already. Um, so I don't know if you all talked about the uh, Dean Marlowe signing or the Quentin Dunbar signing last time. Um, I kind of came out late. Um, my question to you is: So I was looking at um, I think it was the ah, I forgot what the page is called. It's another fan page for the Detroit Lions, and they did like a depth chart project- projection. And I actually saw that they projected Quentin Dunbar to be the number one cornerback, o- along with Jeff Okuda, and Amari would be the uh, third cornerback or the fourth quarterback if Corn Elders is going to be the nickel. Um, Do you think that's possible? And also, do you think Dean Marlowe starts aside um, Tracy Walker?
1: Uh, Let's start to you first, Eric, because I know you're you are a huge fan of the Quentin Dunbar signing. Yeah,
4: I I think Dunbar has the potential to start, uh, but. I don't think anything's going to be necessarily handed to him. And if I uh, was creating a depth chart, which I'll do before the draft, um, he's going to be corner three for me. I'm still going to have Amani uh, a little bit ahead right now, and a lot of this comes down to the fact that he, sh- he if they, if they really thought highly of him, they probably would have given him. Uh, more than one year on this deal, and they probably would have paid him more than they're paying him. Right? Uh, I, I it's tough in this year uh, to 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 read like a player's value based on their contract, but they gave him the minimum. Like the fact that he got the minimum w- from Detroit means he wasn't getting offers from anybody else, right? Yeah. And, or if he was, they were probably at the minimum as well, and and this was the best opportunity for him to uh, you know get himself back into a starter. Uh, You know, level. Right. So I, I, I'm not so I'm not giving him the starting job any t- uh, just yet. Right now, Marlowe might be the starter uh, ahead of Will Harris. It's hard to say. I'm, uh, I know Will Harris has had his struggles and Marlowe has been a, a player who's been ascending for years now. Uh, and I'm probably going to have Marlowe ahead. Uh, but again, I, I think safety is a position that they're going to address in the draft. Or maybe they, you know, get another veteran in free agency that could end up taking it on. But for now, yeah, I I think both guys will have a chance to start. But I don't know if I'm necessarily, you know, putting them uh, as starters on my depth chart. It's still I'm still figuring the Marlowe one out.
3: Hey, Eric, do you think with Dunbar, um, you know, he had a great um,
4: 2019
3: season and then he had a really bad 2020 where it wasn't Mm -hmm. very good. Do you think that's maybe that's why they didn't pay him because maybe they see like well let's prove let's see what you can do let's see if you can bring the 2019 Dunbar back and sure. then you know if we do let's pay you and then we'll, we'll we'll talk we'll talk maybe about an extension or something like that.
4: No, I, I absolutely agree and I think a lot of the reason that Dunbar probably had a down season was because there was a lot of off the field stuff going on that really. Uh, play, I, I would guess, played into, a dist- like, as a distraction to him. You know, like, there was a lot of players last year with the whole COVID situation and uh, if they had other things going on off the field that a lot of these players were really impacted more than I think we want to, like, give them credit for. I, I, look, Tracy Walker, you know, Tracy Walker's cousin w- was killed. Tracy Walker had a had a, a baby and he was being, uh, you know, put in bad spots by the coaching staff. I've, it's not surprising that he had a down season you know when you think about all of these factors that played into it and he, it's also why a lot of us think why a lot of us think Tracy Walker is going to rebound and have a, a good season again when you know he if, now that if he has the ability to be more focused on on the field like you know these we're human, right? And these players are human. And and yep. there's a lot of off the field stuff last year that really came and hit these guys hard. And so mm-hmm. um I, I think Dunbar it, it was a you know, was a, a person that had that happen to him as well.
1: Ryan, between Dunbar and, and Dean Marlowe, is there is there a guy that you think has a better chance of being a starter?
2: Um Cornell there. And corner, <laughs> okay, going off the board because he's the yeah. only corner. <laughs> yeah, the, pretty much. The, like, he's I the mean, only by-
4: nickel on the roster. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, like by process of elimination, like hey, the, the the chairs are all here, the music has stopped, and like there's only one nickel cornerback. So, um uh, you know, I'm I'm really trying to think though, like trying to take this question and um kind of extrapolate a little bit and think about like. You know what kind? What, what which of these guys project to maybe be with the Lions beyond this season? And I kind of think like Corn Elder might be that guy because like he has like some he, some special teams juice to him. If you want to use him in that way, um, I think he plays a very specified you know position and a role in terms of nickel cornerback. And he's shown he's shown that he can play that at like a you know a pretty competent NFL level. So I, I like Cornelder a lot. Um, I think it was a, I think it was a really good signing. Um, Obviously, so does uh, Jalen Ramsey. (laughs) True.
1: (laughs) All right. Appreciate the question, Nathan. Um, Yeah, no problem. We got three more guests to bring aboard, and then we'll close things up. Let's start with Jimmy. Thanks for waiting, Jimmy. How you doing, man? Are you there, Jimmy? Can you hear me? Jimmy. Give you one more shot, Jimmy, and then you can jump to the end of the queue. Oh. You there, Jimmy? There we go. Now we got you.
5: Okay, cool. So uh, thanks for bringing me on. And uh, so I don't necessarily have a question. It's more of like I have a strong opinion, and I just kind of want to know what you guys think of the opinion I have. So, like, barring the Lions doing something like the Raiders and just picking someone at some seven no one's, like, ever heard of or at least isn't projected as a first-round pick, I think picking a quarterback at seven is the worst pick that this team can make, could make. And the reason I think that is because, you know, I know I'd like to be optimistic, but, you know, and we'll see what happens after the draft, but I think the Lions have one of the worst rosters in the league. So I think next year, for example, I think they'll probably be picking higher than seven, potentially even top three, so if they want to go quarterback route, I just see next year is kind of being a better time to take that quarterback of the future, because I just think they're gonna be picking a lot higher next year than this year. So instead of you know taking let's say the fourth or fifth guy this year, like let's say Field or Lance, and you guys you know people have their opinions on who's better who's, but you know if the Lions were picking let's say one or two this year with, w- with Wilson or Lawrence, I'd be all for it. So next year, I'm just kind of thinking, again, I'd like to be optimistic, but I just kind of think the Lions roster is really bad. So I just kind of think maybe look at least giving Goff a chance, too, that's another thing. Right. Because let's say the Lions do pick a quarterback at seven. I think it's a sure thing he's at least not going to start this year, barring an injury or Golf just being that bad. So I just kind of – you know, I, I have a lot more thoughts, but they're kind of jumbled. But I just kind of see – You know, taking a quarterback at seven, just kind of as a wasted pick, honestly.
1: It's it's an interesting question, just kind of thinking about worst-case scenarios, because if you're – you know, I I wrote an article last week saying I'm cool with ten guys, ten different guys with a line seventh overall pick, but if I were to talk about my least favorite pick, I think it might also be quarterback. I think I'm yeah. I'm right there with you. I think there're just there's so many talented players at other positions so that are needs. going to be there. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, you're right. I think I think you got to give Goff his fair shot. He made a Super Bowl. It's possible to build around him and make a Super Bowl. It's happened right. before. Um right. so let let's kind of ride that one out, but I'm curious what the what the other panelists here say about literally the worst-case scenario but in in kind of in the realm of of possibilities. Go ahead, Eric.
4: <laughs> um, okay. I, I don't think it's the worst case scenario, but mm-hmm. again, I, I'm not a, I'm not, I, I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think they're going to take a quarterback. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I mean, look, even the sports books came out this week and said Lions are probably picking first or second next year, right? Mm. So, but then, right. uh, do, is, is the, Then the question becomes, do you like a quarterback in next year's class? You know, do right. you like a Spencer Rattler out of Oklahoma or a J.t. Daniels out of Georgia, Sam Howell out of North Carolina? I mean, we're bound to
5: see somebody
4: sure.
5: you like know a jump Zach up and come out of nowhere type
4: right or or Joe Burrow right the year before, right? right? right. So mm-hmm. um I think it's it's risky trying to say, I'm going to. If uh, it's it's risky if you think you're going to need a quarterback to say I'm not going to get one now because I'm probably going to be in a spot to get one. I think if mm-hmm. they think they need a quarterback, they got to take one. But right. I don't think I don't think they think that. I I, I think right. they 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 got Goff in the deal for a reason. Like everybody wants to talk about the fact that the, the Rams were shedding Goff's cap and they didn't like him as a player, and that's true. But right, the idea, but the idea that. The they had to throw in an extra first rounder for the Lions to take him. I think is far from the truth. Especially when we look about at like the the, the deal Carolina was offering. I don't think Goff was a throw in. I think Goff was a targeted choice.
5: And the Especially fact that Brad Holmes, you know, coming from the Rams, you know, right. that's just kind who, of obvious.
4: Yeah, who identified Goff as sure. a guy that you should trade up for. So mm-hmm. um, I I I don't believe in the Lions' minds that they need to take a quarterback now. And and I keep going right. back to this. The hit and miss rate on quarterbacks favors miss. And if you're sure. if you have five quarterbacks in this class that people think could all go in the top ten, mm-hmm. three of them are likely going to bust. Mm-hmm. And do you think you're going to get the one of the two guys that isn't going to bust and then you're going to sit on that guy for two years? Right. Just,
5: and then start all over again.
4: Right. And 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 if your homes can you afford to do that? Whereas the situation you're in now, you can sit on Goff, see what Goff has, and then if he's not that, then you just need to start looking at quarterback. You know, then I don't think quarterback's at the forefront of the Lions' minds. Right.
5: And to interject real quick, and I don't think the I don't think the Lions will take a quarterback either. It's just my my thing comes from like just seeing so many people on Twitter clamoring for a quarterback. I don't believe everything that Holmes has said. I don't think quarterbacks even on the board, but so many people on Twitter are just clamoring and clamoring <laughs> for a quarterback. So that's kind of just where this comes from. Cause I didn't, I knew you guys kind of weren't necessarily on the page of taking QB either. But yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, and I get it too. Like quarterbacks, obviously the most important position most, and, and, exactly. and a lot of people are of the belief right now that Jared Goff, if he can't get it going under Sean McVay, then who, right. who's going to turn him around? And that's sure. a valid thought as well um and 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 I'm not that
5: high on golf either I just you know just based on the needs of the team and yeah I just don't think again it just if they were picking one or two I'd be all for taking Lawrence or Wilson but just where they're picking at seven I just don't think it's worth the risk and then sitting that guy for at least a year maybe two and then let's say he plays and isn't the guy and then we're kind of just back at square zero you know trying to find another quarterback kind of thing
1: Sure. Uh, Ryan, I'll, I'll, let you have last thought on, on the quarterback chat here.
2: I just want to be the douchey devil's advocate. Ready? Here we go. <laughs> okay, All go right. for it. <laughs> lions play the 2021 season and Jared Goff just clearly isn't the guy. Okay. Say mm-hmm. the lions, say the lions are bad, but guess what? They're not quite so bad that they're picking one or two. Mm-hmm. Then you're not getting your pick of the best quarterback. Then you are kind of locked in and telling everybody, hey, we need a quarterback. So now that draft capital that you traded Matthew Stafford to get, you're, you're still ending up spending it on a quarterback. There are worse things that can happen, but there there's also the thing where it's like, okay, Justin Fields is available at seven. I kind of like right now, like I like Justin Fields more than I like any of the guys that Eric just listed off. Like, sure, your Spencer yeah, Rattlers, yeah. Your, your Howells, like, you know, Daniels. Like, I'm, I'm higher on fields than, than I am those guys. And if we're talking about a Lions team that's in the midst of a rebuild, like, it's literally just starting. Like, like it, it yeah. just started this offseason. They year just long, traded yeah. their franchise right. quarterback. Yeah, so, right. like, this isn't going to be something where it's going to get turned around in a year. It might take sure. a couple years. And if the best player available, if, if Justin Fields is their guy and they pick him mm-hmm. at seven – even if he's sitting on the bench, like it is what it is, i think
7: yeah yeah that's
5: a that's a fair point, and I'm also just one of those guys who's never been I just see as if you're drafting a quarterback in the top ten, I think you start them. like look at Justin Herbert, for example, you know, if you know he was going to be on the bench and he kind of you know accidentally fell into the starting position Man, and, and so ended Tyrod up Taylor was really assaulted, <laughs> right, yeah, they literally accidentally almost like ended him and then you know all of a sudden here comes herbert and he kind of sets the world on fire so i'm just kind of one of those guys that i'm not a big fan of benching qbs or excuse me sitting them if you draft them in the top 10 now if you yeah. take them under the first round that thing you know kind of like what the packers did with Rodgers, kind of let them build but if you're drafting a guy in the top 10 i'm just kind of all for starting that guy
1: right away it's fair point fair point yeah. uh appreciate all the the thoughts there jimmy it's a good discussion oh, yeah. there yeah. and, and one that sure. uh yeah no problem Absolutely. man all right you too oh, didn't mean to cut you off there all right uh let's move on to robert uh robert you there
7: i am here can you hear me yes how you doing man awesome really good really good good so um i don't know i got a podcast playing in my background go ahead I can. all right so thanks for having me on. First off, um, sure, of course. I, I literally downloaded this app just from like I gotta get on here.
1: I <laughs> all right, like, we'll, <laughs> we'll so be honest. sure to tell them. They'll they'll be happy to hear that. Yeah,
7: <laughs> big ups for bringing in uh, Eric. He's like the best guy out there. So, oh, that man, was yep, real easy, smart move. Easy pick smart for move. me. <laughs> smart. Move. So yeah, he's about all right. Lions. Yeah, yeah, he's, I love him because he's just he's just straight Lions talk. No. None of the other stuff. Just straight lines <laughs> talk. That's why I like it. But He's a good guy. This whole this draft thing, I understand that people got a job to do. All these networks, they got to draft people to talk because there's so much interest and so many people buy in and look at the mocks and talk, talk, talk. At the end of the day, the people in the real war rooms, their draft boards look totally different from anything we're looking at. Yep. Um, because their draft boards is towards needs. When I hear... National people talk about Lions and even do Lions games. I'm like, this idiot don't know what he's talking about. (laughs) You don't even know this team because the guy that you just said was great sucks or, you know, whatever. So what we want as Lions, I am a lifelong faithful, faithful Lions fan. I'm talking 0-16 team, lock yourself in the room, yelling at the TV, please don't lose this last game. So I want my team to get their guy. You know, so, like, just go get your guy. I don't care what anybody says on the network. I don't care what anybody feels. There is going to be teams that's got Rashad Bateman as their number one wide receiver outside of Pitts. Oh, yeah, I like where this is going. So, so it's like, just get your guy. I I literally saw yesterday they redrafted 2019 based on production. And we got, uh, I think it was Montez Sweat that went to Washington that was drafted like 109 or something crazy. Now he's in the top 10, right? Because right. guess what? He outperformed. So, as far as the Lions go, if they do what they say they're going to do, you know, when Patricia and them came in, and I ain't saying his name when they came <laughs> in, uh, you know they they, they did the, the, the they did the podium talk. You know, we just want to put people in the best positions to be, you know, successful. You know, we're gonna build a build our defense and our offense around what people do well. And they didn't do none of that. So, but this regime, I think they actually might do that. And yeah. if, I, if, if I am Brad Holmes, this man believes in golf, goes and gets it. He is going to give this kid every chance to be successful. Period. Bottom line. And when you look at the Lions, the offense is close. Close to really being good. We're, we don't have receivers, but our O-line is legit. And one really good O-lineman added to that. We're top five. I think we're top five. They went out and got that Jamal Williams from Green Bay? Mm-hmm. They want to run the ball. They want to control the clock. What helps the quarterback? Protect him, run the ball, and give him somebody to catch the ball. Uh, if I was this regime, I'm looking, I'm saying finish the offense because we're close. Finish it. We, we can coach up the defense. We can put a bunch of young players out there and coach them, through, coach them through the ups and downs. But but spreading spreading the picks around a little bit here and a little bit there, now you just got a, a whole-sucking team as opposed to saying, let's make our offense dominant. Let's dominate in the run game. Let's give some people that can catch the ball so we can keep up with anybody in scoring. We can control the clock when we run the game and we can build our team. We can build our defense. We're going to have so many undrafted free agent rookies on this team because they want young potential talent that they can coach up. They want – we're going to be – he's going to be scouring all the cuts from all the other teams. If you look yeah. at another team and they got a really good linebacker core, he's going to be looking to see who are they going to cut because they're going to have to cut somebody good. If they got a really good safeties, who are they going to cut? They're going to have to cut somebody good. He's going to be doing his job. Our team, uh, we're not going to see the full team put together until – probably towards the end of training camp is still getting new guys in. Yeah. So finish finish the offense. Dominate running the ball. Protect the quarterback. Give him somebody who can catch the ball and run the ball. And build the defense over time. The defense can get better over time. But we're too close to having a good offense. TJ Hawkinson uh can be, you know, a top wide a top tight end. He can be a pro bowler. Uh Radenau's a beast, you know. So we, we're just one or two pieces away from our offense being borderline unstoppable based on how you scheme it. If you can't stop if you can't stop us from running the ball down your throat, you're in trouble. Then we do a play action, hit Hawkinson, the guy that we just got from the Raiders. If he's healthy, people are talking about, oh, you guys got a steal right there. He's healthy. So I've, even they're on one-year deals, these aren't long-term solutions, but they're prove-it deals. I hope two or three of them prove it and get a deal out of it. That means they did a good job of grabbing the right, prove it, guys. Right. But that's my take. Um, I would love to see Panay Sewell in the first round. I would just be so excited. I don't think that's happening. <clears throat> if the Bengals pass on Panay Sewell, somebody needs to get fired. Um, <laughs> that's not protecting your franchise quarterback is an idiot. Move. The uh, wide receiver class is so deep. They can get pass catchers almost anywhere. We all can. But top-level pass catchers are good. I love picks. But if you don't have the right offensive coordinator, then it, 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 <laughs> we, I, I'm not saying that he is or is not. But if you don't have the right offensive coordinator, if you don't have somebody creative and know how to use those two tight ends on the same field at the same time, then that that, that would be a wasted pick. Well, so,
2: let, let me let me counter that, Robert, by saying if, uh, if you don't have an offensive coordinator who can figure out Hawkinson and Pitts, you need to find a new offensive coordinator.
7: I would, I would 100% agree, but I promise you, 25 out of 32 probably can't. Maybe there's, I mean, they're think, wow. I used to, I played football. I played one year at D3, not big time, none of that. I used to coach football. Every coach shows up with a playbook, every coach shows up with a philosophy, and they want to, I don't care what level you're at, it's just the way they're programmed and it's the way they think. Very few people think outside the box change is the hardest thing to do for an adult human being. <laughs> yeah, for no, I, to...
4: I agree with that. And, and I think that we've we saw that with the last coaching staff, right? As much as Patricia preached being flexible, he was anything but, right? Yep. And mm-hmm. and I and I think one of the advantages of this coaching staff is that they're that most of them are former players. And being mm-hmm. former players, you're going to understand how to put players into better spots, which is why I think there's it's it's so advantageous to have uh the experience levels that this staff does because i do think they would be they are the type of coaching staff that can be adaptable to what they have now they're going to have a game plan but i think they, they this is one of those staffs that has the ability to adapt
7: i agree 100 percent. and the biggest part about our staff is that when you look at our staff the majority of them has coached or played in multiple systems So they're not indoctrinated with one way of playing football. And this is the way that works. And you just keep pushing it until it breaks, until it works. Whereas like, no, you know, like whether it's the old school run and shoot, pound the ball, spread them wide, tight end block, you know, whatever, whatever type of defense they want to run three safety, two safety, you know, three, three, five, five, two, four, 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 three, you know, however they want to run it, they can do all of that all in one game. Because, like you said, they're not stuck in one way. I remember when uh, Jim Schwartz was here with the wide nine. It was like every game yep. you knew what the defense was going to look like. They, they play, played well. They had they had better players. Our D-line was killing. Um, last year, it was like it never worked, and they never stopped. It never worked, and they never changed. And it's like yep. I, I have more hope. I wouldn't say faith, but I am hopeful for the new regime's and the the thing that works in team sports, and this is it, and I'll leave you guys alone, is buy-in. It's buy-in. Yeah. If you get a group of men on the same page with the same mindset, supporting each other, all believing the same thing, nobody in there for themselves, we're all here for team, you can accomplish absolute greatness with lesser talent. Because it's just something that happens. I used to coach. I'm a, I'm a leader of men. And when you get people on the same page telling miracles, you know, you don't hope for a miracle. You actually want quality. You want success. But um, I I tell you what, I think they got a chance.
4: Yeah, I tell you, we saw that from Dan Campbell in the Inside the Den episode one. Right. He talked about specifically that where he said. You have to get to know the person first, so that they can trust you before you even get to the ex's nose. If you get a person to trust you, they're going to do more for you. So, like that mindset is already in, in that what you're asking for is going to happen.
7: Yes,
1: yes. All right, Robert.
7: Thanks for having me on, fellas. I appreciate it.
1: Appreciate the thoughts, man. You you've got our our, our text chat going crazy. Uh, they, they they can hear the coaching you. So we appreciate the thoughts, man. <laughs> All right, thanks. All right. Let's close thing out with our last speaker request here. We got John. John, appreciate you waiting, bud.
7: How you doing? Uh, good. Can you hear me? Yep. All right. My question, I, I agree a lot with what Robert was saying. That was, uh, I believe build offense too. But my, my question is with this coaching staff, and i never seen all the years watching football, uh, a coaching staff being put together as good as what Dan Campbell's been able to do and our front office staff. But my question is, um, without the sixth and seventh round picks, is this the type of staff that's going to be able to really go out and get these undrafted free agents better than what we've seen before, and try to um, also build the team from the bottom up? And I, just just your thoughts on the, the staff and how they can do that?
0: Yeah,
1: that's. I mean, that's that's a key question, especially for this first year, because it feels like you know. I, I think most people expect the Lions to make some sort of trade down in this draft so that they have more than six picks and maybe have one in those sixth and seventh rounds. But even if they do, as, as I think even Robert said, um, you know this team is expected to have four, five, six guys that might make the team that aren't drafted this year. So it's going to be drastically important for them to find some guys there. Um, Eric, do you, do you have any sort of level of faith based on maybe Brad Holmes's history or, or anyone that, that makes you think they might be better at doing something like that than previous regimes?
4: Well um you know I think you have to look back you have to look at Holmes for this right you have to yeah. say what has what has Brad Holmes you know been able to uh, accomplish or what's he been part of uh, accomplishing with the uh with the Rams previously and yeah. and I think that they've they've been able to find undrafted guys that can play or you know just as easily as they found you know late round guys that can play there's right. undrafted guys that that can play as well so that's where you know it gets really interesting and, and I do expect them to bring in a slew of undrafted free agents, right? They have 24 spots open right now and six of them are going to go to the draft class, you know, maybe a couple more, right? If they trade, but um, it wouldn't be surprising to see them bring in 15 undrafted free agents and just kind of let them go. And it's really going to come down to how well has Brad Holmes prepared uh, for this, the, how, how well has the coaching, you know, m- remember the Lions' scouting department is the most experienced scouting department in the NFL. Right, right. Right. So, and and the lions have historically, this scouting department has historically nailed guys that have come out that have been undrafted and then been contributors. Right. There's a bunch of them on this roster right now from, from Kevin Strong to Mike Ford. Um, Bobby Price is still on the team. Jalen Elliott, CJ Moore, um, I mean, I could keep going, but I think when you look at what Holmes has done in the past, when you look at what this this scouting partner has done, there's a real good chance that they're going to take 15. And and like you said, maybe five of them end up uh, earning a spot on the roster. That wouldn't be uh, surprising at all.
1: All right. I think we're just going to leave the the, uh, the topic at that. John, thank you for the questions. And thank you to everybody for the questions uh, this time around. I thought we had a, a couple of really, really good discussions there. If you want to be a part of this podcast next time, we will be here again next Saturday at 1030 a.m. on the Locker Room app. Make sure you download that on your iOS device and join us. Make sure you follow at Pride of Detroit and we'll be right here. But until next time, thanks for listening. It's chaos. Be kind.